Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Well, it's great to see you guys. Uh, I, I have a, a fun message in store for you. I'm actually preaching on the parable of the sower tonight. I'm going to try to do it in a single message. And um, I haven't preached this in, um, I looked it up, it's been six years since I've preached it. So I, I attempted to preach this when I was just a rookie preacher. It was fresh into the ministry. And um, um, I'm excited to, to preach it again tonight. Um, I, I, um, God spoke to me. He also gave me what to share on in the, in the coming weeks. So in the coming weeks, I'm going to do a series called Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Kind of how to utilize your faith during difficult times. So um, if, if you are experiencing difficult times in your life or have experienced them or will experience them, all of us will experience difficult times at some point. And uh, so I want to talk about um, how our faith um, just kicks into high gear during those times. So that'll, that series will start next week. But um, I want to talk about the parable of the sower and just how important the condition of our heart is. Um, God was speaking to me, uh, uh, I believe it's a word from him during worship, um, about keeping your heart, about guarding your heart, about maintaining your heart. And this is what he said to me. He said, the bigger your heart is, the more guarding you will have to do, the more maintaining you'll have to do, the more keeping you'll have to do. Does that make sense? If you're small-hearted, you don't really let people in, you don't really step out, you don't really... So there's little chance for you to get hurt, little chance for you to be offended, little chance, but, but the bigger your heart is, and I believe that God calls his people to be big-hearted, God has a, a huge heart, the bigger your heart is, the more um, keeping you're going to have to do. You know, before I married Heather, I, I lived in a, a smaller house, but when, when we got married and, and had kids, we moved into a bigger house, so there's having a bigger house, there's more to maintain. You know, my, my old house, I didn't have to maintain anything. I was just a single guy, bachelor. I, I, I think I only did one thing in the four years I lived in my bachelor house. I had to replace the hot water heater. And it, it, was, a, it was a good house. I just didn't touch anything. When I married Heather, she wanted to redo the entire thing. And I, I said, well, let's just buy what you want. That way we don't have to live through a giant remodel. And uh, my old house is pretty easy to maintain. I, I remember there was just one fireplace, just a couple toilets. You know, it wasn't too much to maintain. But our new house, um, it's a 20-year-old house, and it hadn't really been touched when we moved in. So we've, we've had to do some maintain. We actually have four gas fireplaces. And um, we had to hire a, a company to come maintain our fireplaces. And, and it's just a little expensive because it's, you know, the cost of one times four. So the more you have, the more you have to maintain. You know, I have a bigger yard now. I have to do more yard work, but I, I've, I've learned to enjoy it. But um, um, if you have a big heart, God wants you to enjoy having a big heart. Amen. And he wants to grow your heart. He wants to grow your love for people. But it's going to take some keeping, some maintaining. So um, first of all, to, to have the right heart, your heart, your heart needs to have the right attitude towards God's word. At all times, God's word, that you're, you have to have the right attitude towards his word in your heart. I love what Proverbs 4, you can turn here with me just for my introduction. Proverbs 4, verse 20 through 24 says, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them. They are health to all their flesh. Keep your heart. And again, the bigger heart you have, the more keeping you're going to have to do. Keep your heart with all diligence, 
for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and perverse lips far from you. So right here we see there's a direct connection between your heart and your mouth. And God kind of spoke something to me um, earlier this week. I was dealing with a situation. I didn't quite know what to say in the situation. I didn't know quite how to resolve it. So I just kept my mouth shut. And God said, if you don't know what to say, just don't say anything. And if you can tell that something just negative is going to come out of people's mouths, tell them not to say anything either. <laughs> so that, that was um, my great counseling session for the week. I, I might have to take some pointers from our professional counselors here, but my counseling session was, y'all need to go and pray and get right with God, and we're not going to say anything today, because uh, I sense there, there was some, some not-so-good things that were wanting to come out of people's mouths, and you can't put those things back in. So that's the problem. So anyways, keep your mouth. Amen. Your mouth and your heart. Are, um, your mouth needs to speak God's word. Amen. I love what, what um, the Bible says in Matthew 12, 34. It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. And I don't like to condemn people. So sometimes I tell people, just, just hush up. Amen. Amen. That's, that's a good word for someone right there. For myself. <laughs> My wife's keeping it real on the front row tonight. Your attitude towards God's word, it will be reflected in the words you speak and in the actions you take. I love this. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living. Say that. The word of God is living. The word of God is living. I remember when I was in college, I would go to different Bible studies on campus just to connect with other Christians. And, and when we do these Bible studies, I was always shocked at how many people don't really approach this as a living word. Some people pro approach it as a historical document, as a literary you know, piece of, of art, but it, it is a living, it, it, it is a living thing. It is living, it is powerful. It is living and it is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is so powerful. It can, it can split anything in the physical realm. It can split anything in the spiritual realm, just like an atom bomb splits atoms apart. Think about the power of splitting atoms. The Word of God can split anything at deeper than a physical level, deeper than an atomic level. It goes down to the spiritual level, the soul, the spirit, and it can split things apart. There, it is so powerful. And, and it, it is incredibly powerful, and I think that's a great um, way to start when, you, when we dive into the parable of the sower is to look at the power of the seed of the Word of God. It is incorruptible. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is unchanging. God's Word does not change. God's Word does not change. And uh, one thing that's really important to, to notice when you study the parable of the sower, and this is probably the most important parable to study and to really get a handle on, is to look at what is constant and what is a variable. And God showed me as a young man that, that I need to build my life on things that are constant. Some things in life change, some seasons change, but there are certain things that are constant in life. God's word is an absolute constant. 
If God's word says it, that establishes it, that settles it, it does not change. It is powerful. It is living. Just like Jesus Christ himself. There is resurrection power in the word of God. It is constant, but other things are variable. Circumstances are variable. Your emotions are variable. Your situations are variable. Your relationships are variable. There are many variables in life, but God's word is constant. So when you look at the parable of the sower, the seed is always constant. The seed does not change. The, 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 the effects, the, what happens to the seed, it is not a result of what is constant. It is a result of what is variable. If you were to do a scientific experiment, I know we have some very smart people here today. If you were to do a scientific experiment, you, you test one variable at a time. If you're trying to learn something, trying to discover something, you, 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 you figure out what the constants are and what is the variable, and you test the variables. I remember several years ago, I was, I was um, shopping for a really nice flute. And um, when you buy a professional level flute, it, it can cost a lot of money, it can take a lot of time. There's a lot of variables, there's a lot of different makers, there's a lot of different materials that, that people make flutes out. They make them out of silver, out of gold, out of wood, even out of platinum. And um, when I was trying these flutes, I, I, I was taught by my teacher that when you go from instrument to instrument to instrument, you don't change a thing. You play the exact same thing from instrument to instrument to instrument because you're making a very major decision. You, wanna, you want to pick the very best instrument, the one that fits you the most. It doesn't matter how, what other people think, how it sounds with the other people. What matters is, is what you do with it. And when you're trying it out, you keep certain things constant. And that, that's a really important spiritual um, thing to understand. What is constant and what is variable? Amen? So let's go ahead and dive into the parable of the story. Let's go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. We'll start in verse 1 here. It says, So on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables. So it said that he spoke many things to them in parables. Um, and and I, love, I love when Jesus teaches in parables. Um, there are several parables that Jesus preaches. There are eight major parables that talk about the kingdom of God. I love understanding the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you if you're a believer, so it's important to understand the kingdom of God. Some people don't understand the kingdom of God. They don't understand their authority in the kingdom. Man, if you want to talk, if you want to talk about, I, I was thinking about, sharing sometime on, on like the most offensive messages that we preach. And they all basically boil down to people's lack of understanding of the kingdom of God. People are very offended by, by healing, by preaching healing, by preaching prosperity, and by preaching authority. By preaching the, the blessing of God. Man, we see all of that tied into the blessing of God, the blessing of, of Abraham, the blessing of the law that, that was paid for us by, by Jesus' death on the cross. He became cursed so that we might be blessed. 
Amen. That blessing, it includes healing. It includes prosperity. It includes provision. It includes um, succeeding in life. It includes abundance and victory. And I'm above and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed going out. And when people, when we preach that, when we talk like that, people don't understand the kingdom can get very offended. So he, he would teach in, in parables, and I love parables because they, they're, they're often very simple. They're just brief stories from everyday life that, that, that present a picture to illustrate spiritual truths. Sometimes it's so simple people miss it. Man, um, people like to overcomplicate things. I, 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 know, I know about overcomplicating things. I have a doctorate from a high-level university. I know how to analyze things and dive so deep into things that, that you get dizzy thinking about. You get paralysis by analysis. You know, God still speaks in parables. I talked about hearing God's voice. God still speaks in parables. He can speak to you in the English language. He can speak through tongues and interpretation, but he can speak to you through a picture, through a parable. You know, about a year ago, my, I, I was feeding my daughter Ada. She was one year old at the time, and um, she, at the time, she, she never really liked baby food. She really never liked mush. She went straight from, you know, the bottle of milk straight to um, steak and potatoes, meat and potatoes, and she loves green beans, too, and she still loves green beans, but I gave her a big plate of green beans, and um, as she was eating them, she, she took one, and she, she offered it to me. She said, Dada, and it really blessed me. It really touched me that, that she was being so generous and, and offering me, you know, one of her favorite meals, uh, her green bean, and she said, Dada, and she was offering me this this green bean, and uh, she still offers me things. And you know, one thing that she really likes now, um, Mama doesn't appreciate it too much, but she really likes suckers. She calls them saga, saga. And um, when Ada gets one, I just give her a saga, and I try to hide it from Mama. But Ada, when I give her a saga, she sucks on it. And she she'll point it, she'll point it at me and say, "Dada," and she'll let me lick her saga. But God, God spoke to me through this parable of, of Ada offering me her, her green bean. You know, and God was speaking to me, you know, Aaron, when, when, you, when you feel very generous and, and, and give and, and are, are led to, out, of, out of your love for me to give, to, to sow into my kingdom, that's just like Ada. Everything that she has, you gave to her. So God's saying, you know, when, when you, I, it really blesses me when you offer me your green beans, Aaron. But really, everything that you have, every good thing, every perfect thing that you have in your life, I've already given it to you. But it still blesses me when you, when you give out of your love for me anyways. And God was, God was showing me, he was teaching me through this parable, through this picture. Amen. So God, I believe, still speaks in parables. And this is a really important parable in Mark 4.13. Jesus said, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? So this is a really important parable in understanding the kingdom of God. And I believe the, the, the key to understanding this is knowing what is constant and what is variable. The, the seed, the word of God is always constant. Amen? So Matthew 13, verse 3, he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed. 
fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. There is a devourer out there. God wants to rebuke the devourer. I believe that now that the kingdom of God is inside of us, that we actually have the power to, to rebuke the devourer. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. They did not have much, they, they could not grow where they needed to grow. We as believers in the kingdom of God, we are created to grow. We are created to grow our roots, amen? We need to have earth, we need to have room to grow. They immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth, but when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? So they were seeking to understand something. Sometimes God has spoken to me things and I didn't quite understand it. If you don't understand something, ask questions. If you don't understand something in a, in a God-given relationship, it's okay to ask questions. Amen? It's okay to have a conversation, to ask questions, to, 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 to learn more, to grow. Verse 11, he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. God wants you to understand mysteries. There are mysteries that he wants to reveal to his children, to his disciples, to his followers. God wants to reveal things to you. So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and God is going to reveal great mysteries to you. God wants to bring revelation to you. Kingdom revelation. God wants to bring this to you. He has hidden some things for his kings to find out. That is the glory of a king to search out a matter and to discover it. God has hidden some things for his children, for his kings, for his queens. Amen? Amen. And that's part of the glory of us as believers is to search these things and to find them out. So his disciples, they were searching. They wanted to find out these mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and he, who will, he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is the most anti-communistic statement that Jesus Christ has ever made. What is fair to this world is not fair to God. <laughs> this same statement is made in the parable of the talents, where a master gave five talents to, to one person, two talents to another, and one talent to the third. It was gone for a long time, came back. The man with five gained five more. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. The second one said, well, you gave me two. I have two more. Here's four. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. The last one said, I, I knew you were a fearful man. I was afraid. And, and I know that you reap where you do not sow. That's a blatant lie. God is a sower. He gave five talents, two talents, one talent. A talent was worth about a million dollars. This master invested eight million dollars in the hands of his servants. And the master said to this one, take that one which he has and give it to someone else. Give it to the one who has five and now has ten. Give it to him. 
He didn't equally distribute all the talents. Now, I, I took a, a, when I was at Carnegie Mellon for my undergrad, I, I majored in music, but I also got a minor in business. One of my favorite business classes was an entre entrepreneurship class. The guy who taught this class wasn't a real professor. He was just a wealthy entrepreneur. And, um, and the way he taught wasn't like the normal professors there in academia. Uh, he had this project where he, he broke up all the students into to groups of seven or eight, and he, said, he gave each group $100. He gave each group a talent, if you will. And what he did, he said, you have, you have three weeks. Go out and make as much money as you can. Come back in three weeks, and we'll see who wins. And um, this, this is kind of the rules of the game. E every team had a captain, and um, if... If, if your team won, everyone on the team will get an A. If your team didn't win, then, then the captain would have to stand up before you know, the entire class and, and to the professor and say, well, we didn't win. This is what we did well. This is what we did wrong. And they had to pick out the weakest member on their team. And, and, and either the weakest member on the team would get a lower grade or the captain would get a lower grade, depending on who the professor believed to, to, was at fault for the failure of, of that team. Anyways, our, um, our team um, didn't win. I think we, our, our, but uh, one, one guy, and it was kind of a neat class, there, there were people from all, all different departments, different majors, a lot of engineers, business majors, you know, a few artists like myself, musicians, but um, there's this one guy on my team who, who's now actually a multi-millionaire business guy in, in Jordan. He, he was um, Arabic, and he, he lives in Jordan. And uh, I, he, he was on, like, the Forbes magazine of, of wealthiest you know, people in the Middle East or something. Uh, but uh, anyways, he had this idea to, to make kind of, kind of like a gambling lotto system. And, and um, we, we didn't, there's not enough gamblers on campus, I guess. And um, we, we didn't really make anything. But anyways, one, one, group, one group made, um, there was a brand new Chipotle that just opened in Pittsburgh. This was um, 18 years ago, the first Chipotle opened in Pittsburgh. I was really excited. I'm from Colorado where Chipotle originated. And um, what, what this one group, they actually went to the, to the manager, to the ownership of that Chipotle store and said, we want to promote you here at Carnegie Mellon. Will you give us, um, will you, give us you know, um, 500 burritos to, to, to hand out and to distribute and, and just, you know, make Chipotle a big deal. So they said, yeah, we'll give you 500 burritos. So they, they took the 500 burritos and, and charged everyone $4 for a burrito and um, gave them a, a soda as well. So it's it it an okay deal for the, the students, but, you know, that, that restaurant did, did do well. But they, they made a little over $2,000. Um, another, another group made, like, right under $2,000. And um, what happened was everyone came, you know, each group got up and they just put all their money on a table, and what happened was the group that, that won got all the money. <laughs> so this you know, entrepreneurship professor was not a communist. I believe, I believe he was a devout Christian and, and loved the words of Jesus, and he said, you know, those who do not have, from them it will be taken away and given to those who have the most. <laughs> and um, it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting class. Um, let's go on here. Verse 13. I want one quick thing about the parable of the talents. That guy who had one talent. God spoke this to me about him. He, he had a victim mentality. 
He had, he had a bad understanding of who God was. He, was. he was afraid of God. He said, God, you are, are fearful. You know, you're a hard-hearted man. I mean, a victim mentality, these are three trademarks of a victim mentality. Seeing God as a hard-hearted person, not understanding the, the true goodness of God. Uh, fear is, is, is a very big trademark of a victim mentality. And also this, this idea that no matter what I do, everything I do, it fails, but everything that everyone else does, it always succeeds. Everyone else is fortunate, and I am just cursed. You, they, everyone else just reaps where they don't sow. And that victim mentality, that, that is like salty soil. Nothing will grow, nothing will spring roots. A victim, victim mentality, it is, it is, that is the, the fifth type of soil. And it, it is a, there's a lot of salty soil in the world today. A lot of victim mentality. Verse 13, Jesus says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. The condition of the heart can change over time. And it's a gradual change. It's a, it's a, it's a gradual dulling. Things that dull, things that rust, things that lose their luster. It's a, it's a gradual thing. It's a growing. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes that they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Healing comes from the heart. Healing, healing springs up out of the heart. It comes out of the heart when the seed of the word of God, the incorruptible seed, takes root in the heart. That's what springs up and brings life and brings health. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Man, I, I, love, I love reading through the Word of God. I love reading through the Old Testament. You know, I'm, I'm going to preach probably next week on Jacob when I'm sharing about between a rock and a hard place. And, and I just think about Jacob wrestling with God. Wrestling. The violent take it by force. That's how much he wanted the blessing of God in his life. He didn't have anything. He was running for his life. But God, I'm not going to leave till I get blessed. These people, these saints of old, a lot, they, they wish to be in our shoes today, to have the knowledge that we have today, to have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we have today. Many of them would love to be members at Karis Christian Center and hear the revelation that comes from Pastor Aaron and Pastor Lawson. And... Amen. Verse 18, therefore hear the parable of the sower. So let's talk about the wayside. The point I have for here regarding the wayside is this. You need to rebuke the devourer. The birds came and devoured the seed that fell on the wayside. 
when the enemy, when Satan approached Jesus, Jesus devoured him. He rebuked him. We can actually devour the devourer. You know, the, the name El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. The, 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 the word Shaddai, it comes from a root, a verb root, Shaddad, which means to devour. Our God is a consuming fire. We should not be devoured. We should be devouring the enemy. We should not be overtaken by the enemy. We should be overtaking him. Rebuke the devourer. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. The birds of the air devour that seed. The wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. We need to have understanding. We should desire understanding, not just knowledge. Not, a lot of people just, just want knowledge. They're puffed up with knowledge. If you just have knowledge and no understanding, you're going to be puffed up. You're going to be kind of a mean person. So I want to talk about what is knowledge, what is understanding, and what is wisdom. Knowledge answers the, answers the what question. What? A lot of people just want more knowledge. We can have knowledge concerning God's word. You know, I was just thinking about this as an example, the very first commandment with promise. I talked about that last week when I spoke about honor, the very first commandment with promise. I'm going to test your knowledge. What is that commandment? Honor your father and mother. That is having knowledge. Understanding answers the why question. The why question. So, so understanding kind of lets you, under, lets you take a peek at what God's heart is behind that commandment. And God actually gives us the why. He gives us the understanding for that commandment, that it may be well with you and that you may have long life. That is why God commanded that. That is why God points us in certain directions. That is why God will lead us. Some, sometimes you might not know why, but it's okay to ask God why. Why are you leading me down this way? Why, why are you giving me this? It's, it's, you need to understand what, but also it's good to, to, to look at the why. That it may be well with you and have long life. Wisdom answers the how question. How can you apply it to your life? How am I going to do this? How am I going to take this knowledge, take this understanding, and actually build my life upon this? I know with my parents, it's going to go beyond just respecting them, go beyond just what I owe to them, go beyond just showing up at their house once or twice a year on a holiday. Some people don't even do that. You need to have more than just knowledge. You need to have understanding, you need to have wisdom. Um, a while back, I was um, at a friend's house um, for, for, for a meal, for, and, and some of his extended family were there, but one of his extended family members was a math professor, very, very genius-level person. He got a perfect 
um, SAT score when he was just 14 or 15. He went to MIT when he was 16, had a doctorate in math. He was a math professor, but he, um, he said his math was so high level that it was actually hard for him to get a job because all the math he did, it was so, so advanced, so high level that um, it couldn't be applied to anything here on this earth. It was basically, he, he, and he said it this way himself. He said, I basically do math as art. It's just, I just, but he said that there are very few universities that'll actually hire me because there's no way to profit off of this. And if I write a paper, do research, there's, there's maybe only three or four people in the world who can understand what I'm talking about. So he, he had an extremely incredible amount of knowledge, but there was no way to, to connect it to wisdom and to apply it to anything here on this earth, or really in the, in the universe, just in the, the mathematical multiverse. I, I don't understand it. I, I, anyways, that's kind of an academia type thing. Some, you know, God's delivered me from the, the fear of being simple. It's okay to be simple, amen, to, to, to preach simple things, to, to learn from simple people, amen. God can speak through anyone, anything, any person, any. It doesn't matter how smart you are, what your educational background is, what, what your job is. Amen. So we need to have understanding. We need to understand, like, why? Why, why is God saying this? So it says that Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown. The number one thing that the devil wants to steal from the believer is the seed, the word of God in, in its infant form. If he can steal it away before it takes root, that's the easiest time for him to steal it away. That's why when, when you first hear something, when you first start lashing onto the promise of God, you've got to hold on to it with all you can, and you've got to rebuke the devourer. When he comes and he tries to take that away from you, when he tries to take that word from you, tries to take that promise from you, tries to take that understanding away from you, you just dive deeper in your understanding of the word of God. You dive deeper in, in your understanding of his heart for you. Amen? In Luke 8, 12, in this rendition of the parable of the sower, it says, those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. We're to believe the word and it brings salvation, amen? The word, it's supposed to be believed. It's supposed to cause people to be saved. The devil does not want people to believe the word. So don't be ignorant of his devices. He's the one who condemns us. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that wants to steal the word of God, steal people's understanding. He's the father of lies. He is the deceiver. So we are to rebuke the devourer. We rebuke the devourer. And I like how Jesus rebuked the devil. He rebuked him with the word of God. When the devil came trying to, to rob from Jesus, to rob from his destiny, rob from his purpose, Jesus rebuked that devourer with the word of God. Let's go on here to, to the stony ground. These stony places where they did not have much earth. Stony ground. You have to keep growing your roots. You are never too big, too mature, have too much fruit, whatever, to, to, to just stop thinking about your root system. You always have to keep growing your roots. You always have to stay grounded. 
Verse 20, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because the word, immediately he stumbles. Again, these, these things that happen when the, when the seed, when this incorruptible, powerful, living seed of the word of God, nothing Nothing is, the seed is constant. But these other, these first two soils, the attack is immediate. The attack is immediate. So that shows me that, that, that for, the, for the seed to really take root in us, we, ha- we have to have endurance. We need to go just past the emotion, past, we have to stick around. Keep doing what God has called us to do. Keep going where he's called us to go. Keep being who he keeps calling us to be. We need to keep growing our roots. Luke 8.13 says, These have no root who believe for a while, and in time of temptation or testing or this, this, this tribulation, they fall away. Don't fall away. Let the test become a testimony. Amen? When you believe God's word, you might go through an initial test. When you step out and do what God has called you to do, sometimes there is an initial test, an initial. That that is when the enemy wants to attack right off the bat. Right when you step into where you're supposed to go, that's when the enemy wants to attack. Because he knows once once you get that momentum going, you are going to be unstoppable. The test is not from God. Keep standing on the promise. If you make it through the famine, you will make it to the feast. Believers need maturity. We need to keep growing. Have a root system. Build a root system. Build a root system in community with other believers. But I'm kind of surprised that some people think they're so mature that they don't need these fundamental root system type things. I'm so mature. I'm so advanced. I don't need to go to church. I'm so mature, I'm so advanced, I don't need to give. Build four things every believer needs. It's found in Acts 2.42. Every believer needs to be a part of a life-giving church. Every believer needs to value the word of God, number two. Number three, every believer needs godly relationships to grow. You cannot be isolated. Number four, every believer needs to have a prayer life, a personal relationship with God. You can see all these things in Acts 2.42. Church, the word, godly relationships, and prayer. And we have need of endurance. Hebrews 10.35 and 36, it says, Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of patience, of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Let's go on here to the next type of soil, the thorny soil. God spoke this to me about thorny soil. You, you need to stay in the game. Don't get distracted. Stay in the game. And I'm going to explain what I mean here in verse 22. It says, now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. 
So things that don't really matter took up too much attention. You, you need to be focused on what really matters. You need to be focused on what is constant. Don't be so obsessed about things that are changing. And when, it, when things are in flux, when things are changing, don't freak out. Know that, the, know that you have a root system, that your life is built on the word of God, that there is a constant foundation in your life, deep within your heart. The kingdom of God is within you. Stay in the game. Stay focused. Don't get distracted. I remember when I was in eighth grade, um, I, I grew up in Kit Carson, Colorado. We didn't move here till I was in ninth grade. But in a small town, um, everyone in, in, in school plays all the sports. That's the only way you have a team. Is every, everyone has to play football. Everyone has to play basketball. Everyone has to play baseball. Everyone does track. It doesn't matter if you're a flute player. You're going you're gonna to play football. You're going to play basketball. You're going to run track. And in eighth grade, I, I, I had to play one of my least favorite sports. That sport was basketball. And um, I didn't really get to go into the game very much, but, but my coach, um, you know, I remember this one game, I, I was just riding the bench. And, um, and uh, to my surprise, he, said, he looked down at me and said, Purdue. And I thought he was talking to my brother Andrew, the, the sixth grader. And he said, no, this Purdue here, because my brother Andrew is more athletic than me. He's like, get in the game. And I went in during a, a free throw, and um, you know the guy, the guy shot it, and um, to my surprise, I got the, I got the rebound. And I, I, I started dribbling, and I took off down to the other end of the court as fast as I could. But when I, and when I got down there, I you know, threw up the layup and just shanked it, of course, because I was a terrible basketball player. But um, this is one of the most embarrassing moments of my life because I didn't realize that my guy was shooting the free throw. So I should have just put it right back up. But because I was distracted, I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't in the game. I really choked up. And I think that's the last you know, play in basketball I've ever had. The thorns of life just. Stay focused, stay in the game. We are, we are advancing the kingdom of God here on this earth. Know what really matters, what really counts. Stay focused. Verse 23. Verse 23. The good ground. This is my point for the good ground. The best things in life take time to develop. We live in an insta-baked society. The world pushes insta, 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 everything. Insta-satisfaction, insta-pleasure, insta-fame, insta-riches, insta-this, insta-that, Instagram, insta-what, insta-fame. The best things in life take time to develop. Verse 23, but he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. I like what the Bible says in Luke 8, 15. And, and you can write this down. This is really good. I'm going to leave you with a really good point here. Luke 8, 15, it says, But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Bear fruit with patience. Patience. My dad was just talking about this to, to our um, board members, our advisory board right before church. 
And he said the Greek word for, for patience, it also means consistency. And a great minister had a word for my parents, and they said, you are very consistent. And they explained to him that, that Greek word for patience that means consistent. And I looked it up in the one minute I had between our board meeting and church tonight. And, and the same word here in Luke 8.15, that word patient, it means consistency. Bear fruit. It takes time, but, but consistently bear fruit. And I believe when, when you're tending your heart, the great, beautiful, big hearts that God has given you, when you keep planting the seed of the word of God in your life, keep valuing the things that he values, keep building your life on the word of God, you will consistently bear fruit. It doesn't matter what variation is going on around you. It doesn't matter what season is going on around you. There might be a famine. There might be freezing there, but you are going to bear fruit. You are going to bear fruit all year long, every season, young, middle-aged, old, you are going to consistently bear fruit. You are going to consistently reap a harvest. You are going to consistently expand the kingdom of God here on this earth. Yay! That's a good word. Consistently bear fruit. Amen. Keep growing. Keep believing the word. Keep trusting. Keep building your life. And you're going to keep bearing fruit consistently, no matter what variation is going on around you. Amen? Awesome. Heather's going to come up right now. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.